How can you demystify human decision-making and action? Today's guest, keynote speaker and best-selling author Tim Ash says the key is to understand and unleash our primal brain. Join us for episode 261 of Growth Igniter's Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. This episode is brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated, enabling successful leaders and companies to accelerate to their next level of success. On the web at businessadvance.com. And now, here's Pam and Scott. Welcome, everyone. I'm Pam Harper, founding partner and CEO of Business Advancement Incorporated. Along with me is my business partner and husband, Scott Harper. Hi, Pam. It's always a pleasure to join you for another episode of Growth Igniters Radio. And as always, our purpose is to spark new insights, inspiration, and immediately useful ideas that can help visionary business leaders accelerate themselves, along with their companies, to their next level of game-changing innovation, transformation, and growth. Now, Pam, you and I have long been very fascinated by the connection between human decision-making and what people actually do, Mm -hmm. their actions. There are lots of factors that go into why we can think in one way, (laughs) but sometimes act in a completely different way. That's right. And we've had guests on Growth Igniters Radio who've discussed neurobiology with us strictly from the context of business. That's right. But this disconnect between thinking and action goes far beyond one context. It's a human issue that impacts all of us in many ways. That's right. When you can understand and appreciate the natural origins of this messiness, you can make new decisions that enable you to live a much fuller life. And that's why we're glad to be speaking today with Tim Ash. He's an international keynote speaker, advisor to senior executives, and expert in evolutionary psychology and digital marketing. He's also the author of the award-winning book, Unleash Your Primal Brain, Demystifying How We Think and Why We Act. Since 1995, he's authored more than 100 published articles. Tim has been mentioned by Forbes as a top 10 online marketing expert and by Entrepreneur Magazine as an online marketing influencer to watch. For 19 years, he was the co-founder and CEO of SiteTuners, a strategic digital optimization agency. And Tim has developed deep expertise in user-centered design, persuasion, understanding consumer behavior, neuromarketing, and landing page testing. He's helped a number of major brands develop successful web marketing initiatives, and he's helped create over $1.2 billion in value for companies worldwide. You can read much more about Tim's background by going to growthignitersradio.com, episode 261, and scrolling down to the bio link in resources. Tim. Welcome to Growth Igniter's Radio. We're so glad you joined us. (laughs) Hi, Pam. Hi, Scott. Uh, Great to be with you. We've really appreciated reading your book, filled with so many insights. We're just going to touch a fraction of them in this episode. Let's just start out before we get into that. You started out as the founder of a digital marketing agency. Where's the connection, the turning point that drove you to focus on evolutionary psychology and write Unleash Your Primal Brain? 
Mm, well, I actually took the long way around. My undergraduate degrees at UC San Diego were in cognitive science and computer engineering. And I stayed there for another seven years to almost finish my PhD in what would now be called artificial intelligence, so neural networks and self-learning mm -hmm. systems. And UC San Diego was very interdisciplinary, and I had people from neuroscience, economics, linguistics, as well as computers on my PhD committee. And so I was, I've always been interested in the brain, how we make decisions. And I applied that, as you mentioned, for 25 years to making money for our clients and marketing. But underneath it all was always this uh, idea of how do we influence people? How does our brain really work? How do we make decisions? So I guess you could say this book is a return to my first love, which is understanding and explaining how we really think and act. A natural evolution, if you will. <laughs> you oh, you're such a punster. <laughs> you got me. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about the premise of the book. What does it mean to unleash the primal brain? Well, I start the book with uh, chapter one, which is uh, the lie of rationality. And that's really the first myth that I want to bust. Uh, we have this in Western thought going back a couple of thousand years to, to Aristotle, this notion that we're logical beings, that we make logical decisions and we think through everything. And that's our superpower. And that's what makes us different from all the other animals. Cogito, yeah, I think, therefore I exist. And actually, that's not our superpower at all. Plenty of other animals are very effective in their environments. And so we like to think we're rational, but we're not. In the words of uh, science fiction author Robert Heinlein, Man is not a rational animal. Man is a rationalizing animal. <laughs> huh. yeah. oh, so, so we really we literally can't make decisions without an emotional component to them. The conscious brain gives us choices, but I mean this again, literally, we can't decide without an emotional or a an instinctive component. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I'm talking about when I say the the primal brain. It's the one that doesn't have access to language. It's the one that's working 24-7 to make decisions for us. Mm -hmm. So what does it mean to unleash your primal brain? Well, it means getting over again, this stumbling block of thinking about the fact that we need to be rational or use cold cognition to do things. I think as especially business leaders, and I've spoken to a lot of uh, CEO organizations, that there's this premium placed on, on planning and strategy, and that's fine. But if you actually look at what happens in practice, most of the Nobel Prizes in economics have been given for behavioral economics, which is why do we have these biases built into our brain that are not rational? And that's because the through line through all of this, it helped us survive as we evolved as a species. So not to be right, not to be rational, but to survive. Uh-huh. So you did a lot of research in this book. I'm going to say it again. It's very comprehensive. So there were a lot of insights in it. But very accessible, too. Very accessible. But what was the most surprising insight that you gained from all of this about the human brain? We have, as you know, the biggest prefrontal cortex of any animals. And again, we think that's where logical thought lives. It turns out that that part of the brain is to manage our complex social connections. We're by far the most social of mammals. So our, our typical intimate group, if you will, our tribe is 100 to 200 people. And to manage all the alliances, oh, I did a favor for him so I can expect one back in the future. And if if I get this job, then I have to do some kind of favor for 
her kids, all of that, all of that stuff, a, a real time model of our place in the tribe is what the conscious brain is there for. Not from building microwave ovens or rockets <laughs> to Mars. It's, it's not for that. So where does language come in then? Uh, well, language is certainly a part of that portion of the brain. But mm -hmm. again, language is used to transmit cultural knowledge. That's its uh, primary value. So we can learn from other people's experience. If I say there's a, if you go down to the, that path in the woods, don't make the left turn at the fork because that's where the bear lives. Okay. I just saved you a lot of pain and potential. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, so that's what language is for. Yeah. What's also very interesting is that this isn't just in business. This is just how we operate in everyday life in a million ways. Exactly. Moment to moment. There's a, a study that I like in consumer behavior where they had uh, two racks of wine. One had French wine and one had German wines in the store. And then they would play their French or German music. And it turned out to strongly bias which of the wines you buy. But when you got to the checkout, nobody was thinking, oh, it's because they played a little polka or something like uh -huh. that. That's, that's not why I would buy a wine. But in fact, it was very easy to sway people to buy one or the other. So again, we're rationalizing decisions that we make completely emotionally and subconsciously. You know, it, it, this reminds me of watching a movie and there's dialogue. And then underneath, there are subtitles uh, that talk about what the person is really thinking. <laughs> yes, um, like in the points. movie Annie Hall, for instance. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Uh, well, we don't even have access to that unconscious part. That's the point. Okay. You know, so the part that this language is guaranteed to be rationalizing things. It's not really why you made the decision. In fact, you can see this on brain scans. You see people uh, make the decision, that part of the brain gets activated, and then the language part gets activated a fraction of a second uh -huh. later to explain it. Okay. Okay. This is a good place for us to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll dig deeper with keynote speaker, executive advisor, and award-winning author Tim Ash about his book, Unleash Your Primal Brain. Stay with us. This is Growth Igniter's Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. We're brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated, and we're on the web at businessadvance.com. At BAI, we focus on enabling visionary CEOs and C-suite leaders to accelerate the momentum it takes to achieve game-changing innovation, transformation, and growth. We're excited that as of February 2023, Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper moved into our ninth year of episodes. Yay! We're proud that we've received top podcast recognition in 2022, and this year we're having more conversations with CEOs and thought leaders like Tim Ash, who are changing the face of business. And we're featuring more of our own Quick Take episodes as well. So if you're enjoying listening to this podcast, spread the good word, become a recommender. Just open Growth Igniters Radio on whatever podcast app you use, write a review. And feel free to share links to your favorite episodes, maybe this one with Tim, in your social media. Welcome back to Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper, that's me, and Scott Harper. Today, Scott and I are speaking with Tim Ash. 
international keynote speaker, executive advisor, and author of the award-winning book, Unleash Your Primal Brain, about demystifying human decision-making and action. Tim, tell us how people can find out more about you, your keynote, your books, and your services. Oh, well, if you're interested in the book, go to primalbrain.com. Very easy to find there. And if you're interested in having me help your company based on some of these evolutionary psychology principles or want to book me for keynotes at events, uh, go to timash.com. Okay. You can find more information and links for this episode by going to growthignitersradio.com, episode 261, and scrolling down to resources. In the first segment, we spoke with Tim about how your primal brain influences your decision-making and actions, and this happens whether you realize it or not. Let's talk about this a little more. Tim, can you share a brief story about how our primal brain can override rational thought? What comes to mind? Oh, absolutely. The, and again, economists take advantage of this all the time, but I remember I was a uh, on a vacation in, in Mexico in Playa del Carmen, and I decided to rent the jet ski. I thought the price was outrageous, tried to haggle, you know, in the way you're supposed to. The man had an, a cohort come by and say, hey, oh, no, that one's already rented. There's That one's reserved. They're waiting for it. And that made me want to prize it even more. So all of a sudden, the, pri the price wasn't the issue, it was the availability of it. And so I said, well, well, I got cash right here, right now. And I, I paid full price. I found out a couple of days later, I saw him doing it again, that this is something they do in order to get you to make a decision. Here I am. Oh I fell for goodness. it. <laughs> the scarcity wow. principle and FOMO. So even though you know all, all this <laughs> stuff about evolutionary psychology and so on, you, you got and, to... Well, and I would say that all of us do. Anyone that thinks they can override this and make rational decisions all the time is wrong. I mean, we're all susceptible to these biases and whether it's milk in the back of the grocery store or the almost got three sevens on the roulette wheel or rather on the, on the slot machine wheel, there are easy ways to manipulate us and we fall for it every time. So is there a way that if we understand this, that we can make decisions that are more in our best interest. Yeah, one of the keys, and I talk a lot with executives about risk and how we make decisions under uncertainty, one of the keys is sleep. At, at a personal level, that's daily life support. I have a whole chapter about that. But essentially, if you don't get sleep, your executive function, your decision-making, your ability to read people's intentions is off. And even a couple of nights of short sleep, we're talking two back-to-back -back six hours, is the same as missing a night of sleep. So it's really sleep is daily life support and it recalibrates our ability to read social interactions and make good decisions. Okay, so taking care of our bodies can take care of our brains. Specifically sleep instead of, you know, we hear like exercise, diet, and sleep. And sleep uh -huh. is always yeah. the distant third when in fact it's the foundation of daily life support is what I call it. Yeah, I, I find if I stay hydrated, I also work better. That definitely helps. Although hydration, just as a quick aside, your body's trying to maintain a salt level that's the same uh, as in the ocean. Okay, so okay. if you drink too much, you better take some salt tablets or your body will just excrete the water. Sounds good. So now, Tim, talking about how we work in groups, especially in companies or in, in our social groups, mm -hmm. in our previous conversations, we've talked about tribes 
and and you mentioned tribes and how we we evolved in small groups. How does tribes how does tribes and tribalism influence human decision making and behavior in the modern world? It's at the heart of our psychology. In fact, the the to me personally, the most surprising things when I was researching and writing the book was the fact that we evolved to spread culture, and individually we're very weak, and even. Compared to other animals, other mammals, we're very weak, have poor senses. So our advantage comes from understanding the local environment. And the only way to do that is to essentially download the cultural package from people around us. And that's why we have such giant brains and we mature very slowly and we delay the growth of our bodies until our teenage years. We're trying to wire up that local cultural package. So it's important for us to be good team players rather than being right. I mean, that's the basis of all cults and polarization. We just have to, how would you say, reliably parrot the cultural transmission of our tribe in order to survive. So there are a lot of tribes out there. How do you know which tribe you're part of? Mm, great question. Well, it was very easy back in the day. And by back in the day, I say before pre-agrarian, so 10,000 years ago and through most of our evolutionary history, we had a single tribe and it was everything. It was our medicine, our technology, our entertainment, everything was our army and self-protection that contained the whole cultural package. Now in a modern society, we have overlapping tribes. So I'm member of the Mercedes driving tribe and the U.S. immigrant tribe and the parent of teenagers tribe. So all of these overlap. And so the question is, which one is getting activated right now? Which one is the dominant? Which one is the most polarizing? Which one do we have the strongest allegiance to in the moment? That's the best way to think about it in a modern society. Hmm. So when we think of it from a standpoint of leading a business or leading a town or whatever, Tribalism can be good, but it can also cause a lot of trouble. You've talked mm. about polarization. How do we manage that more productively? Well, putting judgments on it can be good. I try to stay away from that in the book because this is the basic operating system for people. Okay. Uh, in other words, you can't get rid of tribalism. You can't avoid polarization. And by the way, anyone... Uh, I saw a New York Times article recently. Anyone who thinks that singing Kumbaya and trying to get us to understand each other <laughs> is going to solve this, not happening. Three yeah. billion spent on DEI initiatives with zero ROI shown. And that's because mm -hmm. we're swimming against this rip current of polarization, which is built into our very success. You can't take it out of us. So can you be polarized against... You're part of one tribe, and you're also part of another tribe, overlapping tribes. Mm -hmm. Can you be polarized against yourself? Well, we can switch context. So again, it's uh -huh. in, in a particular context, what's being activated. So the goal, I think, for business leaders, you, get, you have polarization throughout your organization. I guarantee you have it in, uh, in the C-suite. You have it across departments. And in many companies, the company itself is polarized against the audience and consumers that it's serving. They have very different values and beliefs. And so, uh, again, you can't get rid of it. But what you can do is think about how to activate the right kind of polarization. So I talk about intentionally polarizing healthy tribes. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so that's really the key. As executives, we often talk about culture or mission or 
purpose, but that ends up as some committee-drawn document that that hangs in your hallway yes. or in the reception area. Right. And no one right. pays attention right. to. And nobody yeah. pays attention to. So there are several techniques that we can use to intentionally build healthy tribes. And the idea is with your employees that they should override whatever weaker tribal allegiances they bring to work. Otherwise, those are going to come to the surface and you will have all this fragmentation throughout your company. You're actually suggesting that there are ways that we can apply this kind of evolutionary psychology of tribalism and that there is minimizing the downside, maximizing the upside? Well, I'm saying that there are specific evolutionary reasons that we polarize. And if you use those techniques, you should be actively creating highly polarized, cohesive, healthy tribes. And then there are ways to do that. And that's what we're going to talk about in the next section. So we're going to (laughs) (laughs) to wait for it. You have to wait for it. We're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we promise that we'll speak more with keynote speaker, executive advisor and award winning author, Tim Ash, about immediately useful ideas for building communities using insights about the primal brain. Stay with us. You're listening to Growth Igniter's Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. We're brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated, where we focus on enabling visionary leaders to dramatically increase the momentum it takes to achieve game-changing results. We're on the web at businessadvance.com. Have you ever wondered if so many CEOs think it's important to lead for business transformation and long-term growth in a rapidly changing world, Why can it be so challenging to break the orbit of the status quo? As an author and advisor to visionary CEOs who often face mysterious pushback to their big ideas, that was the question that sent me on a long search for answers. So what's the secret of the great leaders? The successful visionary leaders I call growth igniters? The ones who are able to ignite game-changing business growth over and over again? What's their secret? They're able to anticipate and embrace the hidden leadership paradoxes that can naturally emerge in uncharted territory. How do they do this? That's what I share in my keynote, Break Orbit, Achieving Long-Term Growth in a Short-Term World. Go to PamHarperSpeaks.com today to find out more about Pam's keynote and her availability to speak at your next leadership conference or executive retreat. Welcome back to Growth Igniter's Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. Over the last two segments, Scott and I have been speaking with Tim Ash, an international keynote speaker, executive advisor, and author of the award-winning book, Unleash Your Primal Brain, about demystifying human decision-making and action. Tim, remind us how we can find out about your keynote, about your book, and all kinds of services that your company offers. Well, you can find more information about my polarization keynote, as well as the book, as well as my Primal Brain Company advisory at primalbrain.com and more about me generally at timash.com. 
And we really recommend this book because there are a lot of good insights in it. We've talked a little bit about this whole idea of polarization, and Tim tempted us by saying there's a polarization toolkit. So we're going to get into a few little snippets of it right now, and we're going to do it one at a time. So, Tim, what is the first immediately useful idea? Somebody is flying. They're done flying. They're done exercising, and they say, we need to do something about polarization, make it happen. What are we going to do? In a healthy way. In a healthy way, yes. Well, I think that this is harder to do in companies that are established, but perhaps in departments or across smaller teams, you can do this. But again, the goal is to build intentional, highly polarized tribes. That's essentially a three-step process. Tribe spotting. What are the current tribes in your environment? Uh, You're going to notice them all uh, immediately. Is it by age, by sitting area, by what Slack channels your employees are on? It could be any number of things. But once you see these overlapping tribes and which ones take precedence, which ones people are aligned with currently, that's the first step. The second step. Oh, wait a uh, moment. uh, Let's go back. (laughs) Sure, sure. I'm curious. I'm curious. Is there some kind of a tool that you recommend using? I mean, it's a hard thing to do to spot all the tribes in your company. Yeah, I actually have um, a way to do this, a a detailed questionnaire that we walk through, and then you you prioritize these as well. And so again, the key is to understand what do I have to overcome? What do I have to override in terms of existing tribal allegiances? Because we're not operating in a vacuum. The second thing, and this is where executives are probably the most important role, is to define the cultural package of the tribe you want to build. And what I mean that, again, is not a mission vision statement. It's what are the behavioral norms regarding risk taking, regarding um, any number of things that you want to actively transmit. Mm -hmm. And this is really important. I know it's going to go against the grain for some people. You have to define the out group. You have to say, this is what we stand against. Okay, got to go deeper here. So you're creating an outgroup, but they are still part of your company, but they're the outgroup. Well, well, if you're one department and you want to define your, what constitutes membership in your department against another, you say, these are values we don't stand for, showing up late for meetings, for example, uh, okay. or groupthink or whatever. You, 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 in other words, you have to be super clear. Polarization is a knife edge. It's, it, it, and you have to stand for something. And so I know this, uh, and you can't make polarization go away, but you have to define what you stand for and against. And that's very important for CEOs and C-suite executives to do, to consciously define that way beyond a mission or a vision statement. What are the behaviors, the rituals, the language we use, yeah. the values that that we espouse? And then finally, you use what they call the primal uh, polarization toolkit to actually implement that and to polarize your team intentionally in a positive way. And the toolkit consists of? Well, s- several uh, strategies, again, that are rooted in evolutionary psychology. One of them... Uh, for example, is having difficult initiations. Now, there's a reason that the gang jump-ins would be an extreme example or frat hazings. There's some unhealthy ones. But there's a reason that the Navy SEALs, for example, have about an 80% attrition rate through their their BUDS S training. Uh, If it's too easy, you don't value it. If it's too easy, you don't bond like you would under live or die survival pressures back in the day with your team. So you really have to make it hard 
So it's a feeling of accomplishment and shared struggle that we all went through. I'm not talking about physical pain or something like that, but, but don't make it easy. Don't just show up and say, Oh, here's our swag. You get a mug with, with our company name.com on it. And don't you feel at home? No, I don't. I, it's too easy. So it has to be something worth having. It has to be difficult to achieve, and mm-hmm. the struggle has to happen with other people by your side. That's what makes the bonding. So so difficult initiations, whatever that means in your context, is one of the key strategies in the toolkit. Another one is synchronized group activities. So you notice these are kind of have a common theme. Regardless of what you do, it's important for people to do it at the same time in the same way. So whether you sing in a church choir or you're doing the wave at a at a football stadium or uh, doing yoga in your yoga class, it turns out you don't even have to like the people, but you will bond with them if you're all doing the same thing and you get this kind of, um, what's the best way to put it, group field happening among you. Uh-huh. Okay, so ritual is is a very strong part of that ritual specifically done together in a synchronized way yeah right. so so synchronized group activities i i noticed this first one I, I saw this special about honda employees back in the day in japan doing calisthenics in the parking lot and i thought that's pretty silly from our western individualistic standpoint it turned out it wasn't it was a great way to to bond people and build loyal tribes mm-hmm. i'm thinking about experiences that i've had over the years just even in the earliest stages of my whole job life, you know, when as a teenager, I was uh, working with one company and they had us doing a cheer even back then. Mm -hmm. But it it goes on from there. You know, I've seen this any number of times, not really thinking about it the way you're, you're describing it. Pledge of allegiance in school. I mean, that's, that's a synchronized group activity. Sure. Uh, That's an example. And it creates a bond. Right. So this polarization toolkit starts with helping people understand what the tribe stands for and then having these synchronized activities. What's a third immediately useful idea? Well, again, the, the framework in terms of how companies actually do this is one is tribe spot, figure out what exists right. and do an inventory of that. Second, define your cultural package. And the third is create this intentional tribe by using the toolkit. So the two two of the ideas we've talked about is difficult initiations and synchronized group activities. There are several more. One that I think is especially important for the C-suite is modeling by the leaders. And it sounds trivial, but your job is just to reinforce norms, both stated and unstated, about the values of your tribe. And that's got to be 100% consistent. You have to be, in the words of Carlos Castaneda, an impeccable warrior in that sense. You never do anything that undermines your, your tribal values. Yeah. So you mentioned the value statements that people put up on the walls. Mm-hmm. They can be useless or they can be useful if the people who really count model that. And if they right. don't- and there's several others, yeah. but you know, the leaders have a disproportionate force. They have a disproportionate impact. Everyone's looking at them, for example, just like I'm learning in parenting my teenagers. It's yeah. really hard to model it though. That's the standard you should hold yourself to. Not the financials, not the, am I seen as a servant leader, but just being whatever your cultural package is, modeling that. 100% of the time. 
it brings to mind that people have to be willing to be honest with themselves about what mm-hmm. they really believe, what they really stand for, and not what they think they should stand for or what they should believe. Yeah. So some of the hardest work is to help people to be okay with being honest and to stand for it. That's critical. So when we talk about authenticity, this is what it means. It doesn't mean you, you swear in the conference room. It means that you are 100% of the time modeling the behavior that you want other people to emulate. And it's a high standard. It's really hard to do. Yeah. And you're yes. like, well, you know, we got to hit our numbers or I'm tired and or whatever your excuses are. You, you, this is where you hold yourself to 100% accountability. Tough, but worth it. So mm-hmm. here we are at the end of our conversation already. We've just tipped a little bit of this. Any final thoughts you can leave us with about how understanding the primal brain can help us demystify human decision-making and action? The phrase that comes to mind is perfectly imperfect. So we're not optimizing anything. We're not trying to get an A+. plus. Maybe some of us did back in our school days. Be a, a B plus student and embrace the the messiness of our inheritance, of our evolutionary inheritance. The brain's there to help you survive, not thrive. This has been a great conversation. Tim, thank you for being our guest on Growth Igniters Radio. Oh, it's been my pleasure, Pam and Scott. It's been fun, Tim. Uh, thank you so much. And thanks to you out there who are listening to Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. To contact us and get show notes and resource links for this week's episode, go to growthignitersradio.com and select episode 261. Until next time, this is Pam Harper and Scott Harper wishing you continued success and leaving you with these questions to think about and act upon. What can I do starting today to understand and appreciate the connection between human decision-making and action? And how can I apply this understanding to better connect with myself and others?